Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. If you missed Thursday's show, a couple of conversations about the world of hockey. We talked about concussions in minor hockey, how serious a problem is it, and what are we doing about it? We also talked about the NHL and the situation with the low Canadian dollar. What does it mean for Canadian teams, and what does it mean for NHL players? Be listening to Kincaid and Breckenridge. We're on 930 to noon weekdays on News Talk 770. We're going to spend the next 60 minutes or so talking hockey, which is which is interesting because a hockey game regulation time is 60 minutes, and and like a hockey game, we're gonna we're gonna drag this hour out over three. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, James Murdoch from the Globe and Mail will join us after 11:30. We're going to talk about uh, what the uh, low Canadian dollar means for the NHL, what it means for NHL players. I mean, theoretically, it shouldn't mean anything because they get paid in U.S. dollars. So it's on the teams. But it, it does have a trickle-down effect, shall we say. Um, but it, it has a broad impact, obviously, for the teams, the Canadian teams. they got to pay these players in U.S. dollars and you know overall league revenues and what that means for the salary cap and all of these issues. So we'll try to sort all that out. And uh, we're going to start this uh, this hour, though, by talking a bit about concussions. And we'll be joined in a moment by Will Smith. This No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're going to talk about concussions, though, at the minor hockey league level. Because for all the attention that we put on NHL players, particularly those who run into uh, off-ice problems after their careers, and then we want to study concussions and we want to figure out what happened to them, how can it be prevented, we seem to spend very little time in this conversation worrying about our kids. The ones that we send out onto the ice, they get a, they whack their head maybe, they get a concussion. But it's different, right? Because now we're all of a sudden not talking about, oh, who's going to take his place in the lineup and uh, how much, uh, how's this going to affect his career? Because we still seem to want to send them to school and expect that that concussion won't have lasting effects on every other aspect of their lives. Right. That's the important thing, you know, in all of this is, is how to make sure kids recover properly from concussions. Obviously, we want to prevent them in the first place. We want to make sure we're diagnosing them, that they don't go undiagnosed. But also there's the proper recovery. And, you know, we just went through this on, on my kid's hockey team. He's an Adam. So these are nine and 10 year olds. And we had a kid who, and again, it was, it was a, you know, an innocent collision. Uh, two kids collided. Uh, our kid went down pretty hard and you know the coaches went out and and they said you know he was kind of unresponsive for about five or ten seconds and you know then was kind of whoa and he didn't quite remember what had happened and you know they took him to the hospital and you know, sure enough he's he's out with a concussion and you hate to see that it was it was scary well very scary indeed randy myers joins us now journalist and content contributor to today's parent and a hockey mom too is that right i am yes i've been a hockey mom for a number of years despite <laughs> myself yeah. <laughs> right, well, let's let's start there then. From a, from a, from a parent's perspective, you send your kid out onto the ice. Is is hockey uh, as an organization doing enough to address the situation? And the only thing I can really point to is, uh, you know, sort of making some research available and changing the rules around body checking. Yeah. Well, I, I'm in Ontario, and um, here what they did was they they uh, implemented a ban on body checking in single A completely. So it doesn't matter what age you are. If you're in single A, you're not body checking this year. Um, unfortunately for my family, my son is in double A. 
uh, and that ban did not extend to double A. So this past year was his first year of body checking. Um, so I would say that yes, I think that there are, uh, you know, especially as a result of this ban, there are, um, you know, procedures in place that at least give parents choices in terms of what is what level of competition they want their child to to play. And knowing that AA means that at the age of 13 and above, your child is going to be body checking. I think it's, you know, a conversation that you have as parents and with your child about what the risks are and whether, you know, what the pros and cons are of playing at that level or moving down to A. Well, how big a problem is it? I mean, it, because it, it seems as though there's, there's more awareness about concussions. We're talking more about it. You know, we're taking steps to try to try to address it. But, uh, you know, in your piece for today's parent, you, you quote one mm-hmm. uh, uh, specialist who says that, you know, that it seems like there's an epidemic, a uh, concussion epidemic in hockey. He did say that. And uh, obviously he does work in the, in, the, um, in the sports injury arena. So he is going to see... Uh, the kids that come in with concussions or suspected concussions and probably, um, you know, has a, a much, you know, better view of what the stats are than as a hockey parent, I would. I can say that over this past year, when my child started body checking for the first time, I was pretty freaked out. And I did expect to see a rise in concussions this year. Um, and and uh, I don't know if it's just, you know, plain old great luck or not, um, but I have seen refs, you know, throw a lot of kids in the box and a lot of kids out of the game this year um, as soon as they see any head contact or any, any dirty hits. Um, and I've actually known three kids who suffered concussions in the last year, One was a girl who was playing basketball and who jumped up to the ball and whacked heads with another girl. One was a boy who was pitching in baseball against a a real slugger who slugged it straight into his forehead. And the third was a friend of my son's who actually plays single A where there's no body checking at all. And he accidentally knocked down a kid and the kid got up and intentionally whacked him over the skull with a stick. So uh, the the the, the uh, concussions that I've seen this year have actually not been um, as a result of of the body checking, which doesn't mean that across the country it's not an epidemic. Because again, I'm not a professional and I don't go to that many games to speak to that many people. Um, so my net is really not cast as wide. But um, certainly, certainly there is that risk. Right, and and I think your the stories that you tell they they do sort of illustrate how these sports aren't really designed where concussions are just going to be a part of the game. Like particularly in your baseball instance, I played the game for about twenty three years, and I never once right. you know got a baseball hit off my head. Um, right. But I'm not denying that that doesn't happen. I guess I'm saying that the construct of the sport doesn't doesn't say well head injury is just a, a part of this. But but then we also at the same time have to recognize that head injuries do occur. And so I wonder, Randy, as a as a hockey mom, if you feel that you're equipped to leave the ice after your kid sustains a concussion. I, I'm sorry, I missed well, the, it, end, the end part of that question. I just wonder if you're equipped as a parent to deal with, with uh, the aftermath of, of your kid getting a concussion. And I guess no, I'll just I, I'll yeah, illustrate would, it, right? 
I would say no. I would say I'm really not. I'm really not equipped to deal with that emotionally speaking. I think if my child were to suffer a concussion, he'd be out of hockey, and I've told him that. My preference is that he moved down to single A where there's no body checking because I think it does reduce the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not one of those diehard hockey moms. So, you know, I, I, I don't minimize it. He's a very, very fast kid. And when I see him uh, going out, he, he plays defense. So when I see him going, you know, full speed to stop somebody and they're both going toward the boards, I have to look away. I can't even, I can't even watch. I, I, I actually cannot physically uh, watch it happen. And I'll tell you that when he was little and he first started playing hockey, he was begging to be a goalie, begging and begging, begging to be goalie. And we put him in net a couple of times and he lost the game and he fell on the ice and started bawling. And I said, you know, it's too much anxiety for the parents. I don't want him to be a goalie. It's too much anxiety. I can't take it. It's too much responsibility on him. And um, and we put him in skating lessons, and and the rest was history. But now I'm kind of regretting that decision. <laughs> yeah, no, goalies, yeah, goalies don't get hit. That's that's the they one thing. They don't get hit. I mean, I think defense, or so they say, uh, is at less risk less um, risk than forwards uh, for concussion. But you know, again, you never know. But it's an interesting you know, point. Uh, yeah, I was going to say for that one thing that you might want to keep in mind is that there's a real size disparity right now among boys. So the body checking was delayed by two years when originally they were supposed to learn body checking at 11 when they were all little. Now they're learning it, you know, it's being introduced in Ontario at the age of 13. So if the child hasn't hit puberty yet and, you know, maybe half the kids haven't, he may be out there on the ice playing against boys who are 13 but appear to be men. So there's a huge size differential. Oh, yeah, no kidding. The point yeah. about, you know, what, what parents need to know, because I, I think there's an expectation. Like, you know, my kids in hockey, I would expect then that coaches would recognize signs of a concussion, that, that they would take that seriously, they would respond, uh, that, that it would get diagnosed by a doctor and, and, and all of that. But in terms then of what the parents need to know, because... And when the kid comes home and the kid needs time to recover from a concussion, they're, they're, it's very specific in how terms in, ter, in terms of how kids re- recover from concussions, right? And so mm-hmm. there's a lot then on the parents at that point to make sure the kids uh, are not active, are not doing what they're not supposed to do, and and that can go on for a week or two weeks or more. Yeah, and it's really tricky. I think it's tricky to diagnose a concussion at first for the simple reason that when a kid gets hit hard and is lying down there on the ice their days um regardless uh, they could be uh, you know crying because they hurt something and it may not be their head it could be something else um as soon as a child says head my head hurts or anything then you know then the from what i've seen they get pulled from the game um, what generally happens is the child is lying on the ice, and if the child doesn't get up right away, the trainer walks out to the ice. And typically, I, I believe in Ontario, the trainer has had to take um, a specific course. Many of the trainers themselves might be doctors um, and therefore volunteer to be trainers. I think the danger um, for a coach, I guess, for the child um, when it comes to coaching 
is that the coaches and the parents have a lot invested in hockey. And even though none of these kids are going to the NHL, you know, in AA anyway, um, they want to win. <laughs> so they don't want to forfeit the game. And if your kid is a really great player and he says he's feeling okay, yes, I've gotten little days, I feel okay, they want to put him back out, right? You know, be a man. So I think that's dangerous, uh, number one. And uh, certainly if, if, if there's any mention of the head or the headache or the head being hurt or feeling like they have to vomit, they should be off 100%. Um, and, then, and then obviously the signs of the concussion once you have your kid home. Uh, there's a number of them. Headache, nausea, vomiting, uh, sensitivity to light, uh, dizziness, confusion, slurred speech, poor balance, irritability more than usual, uh, memory problems, blurred vision, I think I said, sleepiness, uh, a lot of sadness or anxiety or feeling in a fog, um, then you need to go to the doctor. Yeah, right. You know, it's, I can't imagine, too, by the way, taking your kid out of the lineup because he's got concussion symptoms and telling him, oh, by the way, you can't play Call of Duty because that's bad for you when you're trying to recover from yeah. a concussion. Well, right? that, <clears throat> no video well, games. Well, that's, that's why, um, you know, personally, I don't think even, even if most kids want to stay home from school and lie in bed, um, I don't think they're going to lie about it for too long because they can't be on any screen yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. And that's really the draw, you know, <laughs> these days <laughs> So um, is uh, a computer screen or even a you know, phone screen. You can't even look at your phone. So never mind the TV. You really can't be on any screens at all. You just kind of have to lie there in the dark. So it's not fun. No. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, really that's the only thing you can do is um, make sure that your kid gets lots of rest in the dark. Uh, they advise against giving Advil or aspirin because it can cause uh, internal bleeding, and that's what you don't want. So they say Tylenol, if anything. Um, and you can't send, you know, the hardest part for a child is they can't be active for, you know, until they're symptom-free, and that can take that can take a while. You know, Randy, it's interesting that you're, that you've compiled all this advice in the piece that you wrote uh, for today's Pair Magazine and some of the advice mm-hmm. you just dispensed there, like stay away from Advil or aspirin, Tylenol is the safe bet, but, you know, you, you reference check with the doctor a couple of times there. And, I mean, I, I think that there might be some people who are listening to this interview right now and they're thinking, my God, this is a really neurotic, concerned hockey mom. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the research that we've got on concussions is twofold. One, that you can recover from them. You know, we've talked to some people who are studying it out of UBC who say that, that at the adult level, that there are, there's tremendous uh, research now that tells us that even upwards of 80% of the time, people do recover actually uh, from concussions. But the second thing is, and I think this is far more important, and you reference it quite uh, in quite detail in this piece, is what the other effects are. Uh, learning disabilities developing, suicidal tendencies, all of these things that are direct relations to concussions. Well, I mean, you know, think about it. It's damage to the brain, right? So, yes, I mean, you can, you know, the brain, the brain will, will, um, will heal. But then the the child is um, at a greater risk of injury again. So each time you have a concussion, you have a greater chance of having another. And, and that that's not a risk that that I personally would be willing to take. Um, you know, even as it is, I find the whole conversation a little disturbing. And it's interesting because 
a lot of the hockey dads that I've spoken to, I guess they're, you know, in general, more sort of into hockey and they grew up with hockey and they watch hockey on TV and they played hockey and they're sort of more into the sport itself. And I've even heard my husband say that it's not really the game without the checking. Like that, that that's really part of the game. The sport of hockey yeah, includes body checking and that's part of the game. And the game is not as authentic, never mind as competitive, without it. You're changing the game. So, you know, my response to that would be, yeah, so what? You're changing the game, and therefore the kids don't have to worry so much about how to avoid a hit and how to hit, and they can concentrate more on skating, which is, you know, it becomes, it's a much, it's a faster game without the body checking, that's for sure, because they don't have to, they don't have to slow down to think about the the giving and receiving of hits. Um, But then the response is, but that's the game. But that's what the game is. So, you know, they go to an NHL game, and that's what they see. And when they go to a hockey tournament in Buffalo, th- those teams are checking, and that's what they do. And that's part of the game itself, and that's the integrity of the game. So that's the argument. Well, people can read your piece. It's uh, up at uh, todaysparent.com, and uh, we'll tweet it out as well. Randy, thanks so much for joining us here today. really appreciate this. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Randy Myers is uh, a journalist, uh, contributor at uh, todaysparent.com, also writes at her own hockey mom website, sticksandpucks.com. That's S-T-I-X-P-U-X. I I think she might have spelled those words wrong. Yeah, but, you know, it's a new new day and age, right? She spelled Uh, it to be hip with the kids, that's all. Oh, okay. I get it. You know, I got a lot of interesting text there. And and I think Randy is somewhat controversial, right? Because here she is coming on the radio and saying, yeah, I'm really concerned about my kid. And and uh, this is how uh, the concussion protocol should be. And here's some really good advice. And by the way, these are the downstream effects and stuff like that. I, this, I think this isn't in case, it, uh, you know, if it ever happens to you kind of scenario. Because, sure, there's a lot of people that played minor hockey, even some degree of, of men's hockey, and never had any problems with concussions. But, boy, if your kid gets wiped out, you know, and it's like, Dad, I've got a nasty concussion here. You want to throw him back in the lineup and, and compound that problem? Well, it's a brain injury, right? And I, I think we're past the day of, oh, boy, that guy, you know, you got your bell rung, laugh it off and, and throw the kid back in there, right? Because you're playing with disaster. I mean, if you're suffering from a concussion and you get another one, you're really gambling with, with your health, and, and that could be really dangerous. But even as she said, even though once you've recovered from a concussion, you're still more likely to get one the next time. And multiple concussions can have lasting impacts, and we're learning a lot more about that. We can't be blind to, to the science. We can't be blind to what uh, the medical community is telling us. That said, that doesn't mean we, we ban hockey. I don't even know if it necessarily means we ban checking from hockey, yeah. because obviously concussions can occur in a lot of different ways. There's no hockey in, in or no checking in Adam hockey, right? And, and you know, we still had a, a kid with a concussion on our team. So it, it does happen. So the question is, how do we prevent it? What can we do? To prevent it, how do we make sure that, that everybody involved in hockey is aware of the signs, can quickly respond, and that kids can, can recover properly? I, I think we should have that conversation. Let's uh, include Wayne in the conversation when we come back from this commercial break. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, 974 Let's get to the phones. we got Wayne, Wayne up first. As mentioned, Wayne, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Yes, sir. Um, we've uh, we've dealt with concussions with our sons playing, uh, playing lacrosse, and... Uh, we spent uh, lots of money on the top end, uh, top end equipment, helmets, etc. Right. And 
concussions are going to happen regardless of whether there's contact or um, regardless of what you're doing, what sport you're playing. So I've done a lot of, you know, I've been doing a lot of research because we are dealing with severe concussion issues with our uh, with our uh, one son. And they're doing some research down in the States, which is really interesting. They, they've looked at uh, animals in the wild, like uh, woodpeckers, for instance, who are smacking, smacking their heads. So what's happening with their brain? And they, apparently there's a muscle in the neck that, that constricts uh, blood vessels, keeping fluid in their brain, so lessening the impact um, of concussion. Yeah, because yeah, that's so the problem with concussion is, is the helmet protects your skull. It doesn't keep your brain from exactly, getting bashed around in it. Exactly. And so, so actually they're doing some uh, – they have uh, – the Yale lacrosse team is uh, uh, using these, um, and they're doing some research with that. They're just a neck band that they put around your neck, just a little bit of pressure on uh, your arteries – keeping blood and fluid in your brain so when you do get hit your brain's not smacking against your skull Wayne, this is really interesting i got a question for you and we want to move on to another caller uh, who's going through a similar experience to you but my question to you is what do you want to get your kid why do you want him over the concussion so that he can get back out on the floor and, and play uh, boxla or so that he can uh, uh, go to school and not have any long-term effects go to school without because yeah. we're dealing with the long, longer term effects of concussions right now yeah. um you know when i played sports you got your bell rung and the coach said get up back out there you just got your bell rung yeah. well of course we're learning a lot more now and so we're dealing with the longer-term issues, and we just want to make sure that he's going to be okay long-term. Good stuff, and, man. Thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Yeah, be okay long-term, right? Rubbing dirt in it doesn't make you okay long-term. Exactly. Right? Well, let's get to Jerry's call here. Hey, Jerry, thanks for calling in. Hi. Um, he actually gave me um, – I'm his granddaughter who has a concussion. Oh. He actually gave me the phone to talk. Let's oh, to right. talk. okay. What's, what's your name? What's your, what's your name? Oh, I'm Katie. Katie, what's what's your story? Um, so probably three years ago, um, I played ring at the, at the time and I was a defenseman and I was coming up the boards and, um, I got body checked, my head got body checked into the boards and that kind of started my concussions and it lasted, I was out of school for about four months straight and I got depression and I went, um, to a therapist and talked to her and then I actually did this thing called cranial sacral therapy and it's, almost where a therapist, um, she moves the fascia around in your head to release um, your muscles, I guess. And she worked on my neck as well, um, just because of my whiplash. And then this year, I, um, I got a slap shot to the back of my head. I've been oh my to God. practice. My teammate was not being very smart. And um, all my symptoms came back. And I was out for probably two weeks. And then I got back into hockey, and I play in the hockey program at my school, and right. I'm the only female. Um, so the guys are pretty careful around that, but they accidentally tapped my head, like, very lightly, and all my symptoms came back. Wow. Yeah. Does it make you apprehensive about playing the sport in the future, or are you still getting back out there? Well, I've been out for almost two months now. Wow. Um, I'm not going back to school. I have an alternate school plan for next semester. I'm not doing exams because... Like, the lights and the sounds really bug me, I guess. Right. Um, and, I don't know, it's really hard just because you can't do anything much. And, again, I'm going to that cranial sacral therapist. Um, and I've only gone once, and I have an appointment this Saturday, but already that's helped because she was working on my neck right. a lot. And not that I had whiplash, but it helps um, the headaches. Can, can you do so. us a favor? We're just going gonna to put you on hold. Would you mind giving your contact information to our producer, Patrick? Because we're out of time for the segment, but we'd like to talk to you a bit more. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we're going to put you on hold. Don't go away. 
Uh, and when we come back, we're going to keep talking, uh, keep the hockey theme going. We're going to move away from uh, concussions, though, and move to the business of hockey because this uh, flagging Canadian dollar uh, seems to have an impact on how hockey teams run their shops here in Canada. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, welcome back. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. At uh, last peak, the Canadian dollar was flirting with 70 cents U.S., 69.86, currently trading at. Um, and look, I mean, obviously that that's linked to the price of oil. That's meant cheap gas prices, but it's uh, manifested itself in a lot of negative ways. I don't know that it's going to turn around anytime soon. I know the dollar and oil having a little bit of a rally today. I don't know how real or sustained that is. So in the meantime, what does it mean for the NHL? The NHL, which operates in both Canada and the U.S., has teams in Canada, but operates for all intents and purposes in U.S. dollars. Players get paid in U.S. dollars. That means Canadian teams, you pay Canadian dollars for the ticket, they pay the player in U.S. dollars. That's a big hit to their bottom line. And that's all about to change. Canadian stadiums are now going to charge in U.S. dollars for things like tickets and beer, <laughs> just to make the accounting easier. No, that's not going to happen. But look, I mean, the, for a Canadian hockey team that takes all its revenue in in Canadian dollars, they're looking at this price plunge and thinking to themselves, ah, we got to deal with this. And this is the way it used to be, and it was like this for many years. So, I mean, is it a crisis? Kind of. Does hockey go on? Of course. But... I mean, let's let's be real about something. When uh, the Canadian dollar was uh, on its ascent to par several years ago, Canadian hockey teams were looking at it and going, guys, this is great for our bottom lines. Well, sure. And now uh, Canadian teams are going to take a hit. What impact does that have, have on overall league revenues? What does it mean for the salary cap? What does it mean for escrow and all these things? Uh, James Myrtle is a hockey reporter with the Globe and Mail, theglobeandmail.com. James, uh, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. All right, so just in terms of what we're dealing with right now, uh, how much is this costing Canadian teams? Depends on who you're talking about, but, you know, I look at a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs. Their payroll is $82, $83 million American dollars. Translate that to Canadian just based on what the exchange rate is, you know, this week, and we're talking about a payroll that's $122, $123 million, and, that's a big bite, even for a team like the Leafs that has huge revenues. Uh, it's a bite for them into their profit levels. But if we're dealing with a different team, let's say Ottawa or Winnipeg or even Calgary and Edmonton, you know, they're, they don't have the same kind of massive profit levels that the Leafs do, and yet they're still having that same jump in salaries because of what's happening with the dollar. So that hurts, and I think we're going to see quite a few Canadian teams need to collect revenue sharing from the NHL, which is a change from what it was when the dollar was at par, and it's gonna—they're gonna struggle to to get to the cap. And if you struggle to get to the cap, your team struggles to compete with all the American teams that are that are at that level. And it's it—it uh, it could be a tough time, especially if the dollar continues to slide. I mean, if we're talking about sixty, sixty-one cent dollar, that is uh, that is a really, really tough hurdle, especially for smaller Canadian markets to overcome. Yeah, there's a lot you just said there, uh, James, that we got to break apart now. But but let's talk about that. Uh, you know, just the the preparation piece. Is there a way that a hockey franchise can uh, can prepare for the devaluation of the dollar? I can't imagine that if you're the uh, the Calgary Flames, for example, and you're going into negotiations with a player agent, that you could say, well, you know, you never know what's going to happen with the dollar. Uh, <laughs> you mean in terms of trying to entice players using using the American dollar? Just just in terms of trying to absorb the situation right now. 
like for the, from a business perspective? They try and they, they, they do work with financial people. They work with banks. Uh, if they've got an owner that's very financially savvy and they do a lot of currency hedging and they try and, and buy their American dollars at a set flat rate early on in the year or in the summer. And then they at least know what their exchange rate is going to be for the whole season. And then it's the financial institution or whoever they're dealing with that takes that hit. So they do do things like that. But if the dollar continues to slide, so let's say that they got a good rate this year. Let's say they were able to buy all of their, their U.S. dollars at, at 80 cents this year for the whole season. You know, that puts them in good shape for this year. But next year, they're not going to be able to get that rate again if the dollar is down at if the dollar 65 cents. No lending institution is going to give them that kind of a currency hedge that's going to allow them to buy at 80 cents again. So, you know, they can do it for a little bit, but the Canadian teams need that dollar to come back up before next season, before they start collecting season ticket money for next season, which a lot of that comes in in the spring and summer months. So it's getting to the point where they're going to be stuck with that number. You know, maybe they were able to get by this season with an 80 cent dollar, but next year they're going to be looking at 65, you know, maybe 70 if they're lucky. And that's, that's a tough bill to swallow. Well, and it, it harkens back, and certainly for a lot of fans out here, to some of those dark days in the 90s when, when Alberta's two teams, uh, you know, had some, some near-death experiences, and, and a lot of that came from these pressures. It's, it's a different league today with, with the salary cap and everything else, but are, are there similarities to, to those, those pressures of the 90s? I think so. I mean, you just look at how teams have performed in the NHL when they're closer to the salary floor than the salary cap. I mean, essentially every team that's won the Stanley Cup in since there's been a salary cap has, has been a, a cap team has spent within a few million uh, of that that upper limit. So if the Canadian teams get in a situation where they can't spend to that level again, it hurts your competitiveness on the ice and it hurts your ability to retain players. Um, you know, we're seeing right now in the NHL that young players more and more are, are getting larger salaries and getting a, a bigger share of the cap dollars. So it could hurt your ability to, to compete for the, those young players and retain the, the young stars that you've got, like a, like a Johnny Goudreau in Calgary or, you know, it's, it, that's, that's the danger is that you're not able to spend to the cap and you're not able to be as competitive. And the other thing too, which I didn't mention off the top with the Leafs, it's starting to become the case where teams are having to pay a lot more money for, for coaches, for general managers, for other staff, because that's dollars that are outside of the salary cap. And all of those staff and all of those high-profile management coaches, they're paid in American dollars as well. So someone like Mike Babcock, who got a $50 million U.S. deal from the Leafs, instead of getting uh, just $6 million U.S. this year, his contract now is worth over nine million Canadian, and it's it's a uh, it hurts. You know, you add all of these factors up, and it's really really tough for teams to compete. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, what does it do to the rest of the league, though? You talk about the profit sharing mechanism uh, that's in place. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, essentially, there's revenue sharing, and typically revenue sharing goes to the bottom eight to twelve teams in the league in terms of revenues generated. And what's happened the last, you know. I would say probably the last decade is that with the dollar being relatively high, for the most part, it's been American teams that have been drawing that revenue sharing. And a lot of times they've been drawing it from Canadian teams. And the Canadian teams have become a bigger and bigger portion of the revenue in the NHL. Some people say up to 40% of the revenue is coming from the Canadian teams at one point when the dollar was at par. 
as that number sinks down, league revenues come down, obviously, because you know you've you've got this this forty percent, thirty five forty percent of the league revenues in Canadian dollars. As that comes down, overall league revenues come down. The salary cap is tied to that. Player salaries are tied to that. Revenue sharing is tied to that. So all of a sudden, you can't just have these American teams that are struggling financially in Florida and Carolina and Nashville and other places. They can't just draw all of the revenue sharing money because now all of a sudden you've got. Ottawa needs to, to draw some, and potentially Winnipeg needs to draw some. And uh, you end up with a lot more teams that are that are financially stressed than you had, uh, let's say, in three years ago in 2013 when the dollar was at par. Yeah, because on the surface, it would seem as though it wouldn't matter to the players. They're getting paid in U.S. dollars anyway. But there's all these other factors that, that result from that. There, there's the, another portion that seems kind of complicated, but essentially it's it's called escrow, where basically pl- players have to put a chunk of their their salary away. It essentially gets put in the bank each each paycheck. And depending what happens in terms of league revenues, maybe they get some of that back, maybe they don't. Yeah. You know, often player salaries in the NHL are talked about in terms of, in very concrete terms, you know, it, player X, Jerome McGinley, I'm just using an example. Jerome McGinley makes $5 million a year, so he gets $5 million every year. But that's that's not true because what's happened in the new financial system that the, the NHL has, which isn't even that new anymore because they've had it for 10, 11 years, is that that salary is linked directly to how well the league does financially as a whole, so total overall league revenues for the year. So if those revenues come down as a result of the dollar, the player can lose 10, 15, 20% of his salary as a result of that. So that $5 million could become 4.5, could become $4 million. And that affects every single player in the league. And the difference for the players playing in Canada is that everything is costing, essentially costing them less when they, when they're living in Canada during the season because, you know, their, their rent or, or their, their mortgage or whatever they're paying in Canadian dollars, but they're being paid in American dollars. But, you know, the majority for the majority of the league's players, they're based in the U.S. and they're not getting that benefit, and they're getting penalized on on the escrow, which is at 16% right now, and people are saying it's going to go as high as 20, 22%. And you know, that's a lot of a, a guy's salary to lose. Yeah, no kidding. Particularly for this Jerome McGinley character you mentioned, never heard of him. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, what's the moral of the story there? Because help me figure this out. It sounds to me like if you want to get paid, it's better to play in Canada. But if you want to win, it's better to play in the U.S. Given the dollar. Uh, well, there's taxes. Maybe. Though. Yeah, there's taxes too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's taxes involved. It's 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 a complicated thing. You know, I talked to a lot of the Leafs players about this, and they weren't they weren't exactly dancing in the streets that, that the dollar is low because they know that's going to create problems overall for the league and overall for their career. It's good in sort of a very micro short-term way in that they're getting U.S. dollars and there's that conversion. But if let's say they become a free agent on July 1st and they need to go to another team, the salary cap has been stressed. It's been, it, it could be potentially flat next season. Uh, that means teams aren't going to have a lot of money to give to free agents. Uh, escrow is going higher and higher. So you're going to have a harder time finding a contract somewhere else. Potentially you're going to go to an American team because the majority of the teams are in the U.S., uh, and, and then you're going to have a high escrow. So there's all these other factors working against you that, that sort of outweigh the, the benefit you're getting of getting paid in American dollars. You know, the thing is, even if Edmonton and Calgary are in a stronger position than they were in the 90s, we still got Winnipeg. It's a real small market team, and, uh, and, and they really have to operate on a tight budget. We got this suggestion that maybe Quebec City could be an NHL city once again. But when we look at the, the current economic realities of the NHL, do, do we need to rethink that? 
Yeah, I think I think that that's going to be a big strike against Quebec for sure. And they're in the expansion process right now, along with Las Vegas, trying to get a team. And you know, I think we're going to hear in the next five or six months whether which teams are going to get expansion teams. I, I think Las Vegas is a done deal. I think the NHL really wants to go there and and have that kind of unique market. And the question with expansion is, is NHL going to go to 31 teams or are they going to go to 32? And the 32nd one would be Quebec. And, you know, you, you, you hear from owners and governors around the NHL, and I think there's some real uncertainty about that team in Quebec, even though they've got the arena, even though they've got the, the owner with a lot of money. Just, and I think the dollar's a, a big, big part of that. It's, it's, it's a huge risk factor for a team. And the expansion fees are U.S. dollars, obviously, I'm guessing. Right, right. <laughs> and they're looking for a huge expansion fee. I, I believe the number right now is 500 million U.S., so you times that by 1.45 or 1.46, whatever we're at right now, and it's, it's a ton of money. And then you gotta try and make that money back somehow. Yeah, at least Winnipeg got its team for what, like, just over 100 million, I think, is what they bought the Thrashes for, wasn't it? I think they were about 170. Yeah. 170 yeah. yeah, and that would have been when the dollar was relatively high. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, no, they they were fortunate in that sense. And as I feel like the, you know, they're going to be hammering these these new teams with such a huge expansion fee that you know it's it's going to kind of put them behind the eight ball right off the bit, right off the bat. So you know, it's there's a lot of talk that they want these expansion teams to be competitive on the ice. So the other thing, interesting thing to watch, just aside from the dollar, is that the expansion draft is going to be. You know, I think teams are going to lose some good players to these expansion teams because they're going to want them to be competitive. So right. it'd be interesting to see what happens. James, fascinating conversation. Thanks very much for being with us today. Okay, thank you. I take care. That's James Myrtle from the uh, the Globe and Mail hockey reporter in the Globe and Mail with a piece about this in uh, today's paper. You can read more at GlobeandMail.com. NHL players cheer for Looney's recovery as reduced revenues sink salaries. We'll take a break here. We're going to come back. Some more thoughts on this. 974-8255 is our number. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.